Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our salvation. Amen. This is just an illustration. You know what you people are. You are all a bunch of hypocrites. You go to church on Sunday, but then you forget about God the rest of the week. You are living a double life. You say you belong to God, but then you secretly go and indulge in all kinds of sinful pleasures. You live in your nice big houses. You drive your nice fancy cars. You do nothing to help the poor. You snakes. Do you really think that God is going to save you just because you've been baptized and belong to an evangelical church? Listen, unless you turn away from all your sins, you're all going straight to hell. This is a modern paraphrase of John the Baptist's teaching. <laughs> I was tempting not to say that this is an illustration, but then I thought somebody might throw a Bible at me. <laughs> I was tempted to, to do this without telling my wife and uh, watch her expression, but I knew if I saw her expression, I would start smiling and it's kind of shocking, isn't it? Um, John the Baptist was not trying to win friends and influence people. He wasn't being a, uh, a seeker-sensitive type of preacher. So why was he so severe and harsh in his preaching? I think there are three reasons. First of all, the Messiah was coming. Uh, Christ was walking among the, the people of Israel at the time. He was about to begin his public ministry. John needed to prepare the, bio, the, the people right away. So he couldn't take time for niceties. There were mountains of pride among the people that needed to be leveled. There were deep valleys of unbelief. That needed to be raised. There were rocky and crooked lives that needed to be made straight. And God was revealing his salvation. Therefore, the people needed to be ready to receive it. Listen to um, what William just read. I'll begin halfway through verse 3. Um, well, I'll just begin with verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So that's what John's doing, preparing the way for the Lord. Make, straight his, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So the Messiah is coming. John the Baptist had to, to pr prepare the, the way for the Lord Jesus. Secondly, the people were self-deluded. They assumed just because they were descendants of Abraham that they were in a right relationship with God. Their hearts were exceedingly hard. There was no tenderness towards God. There was no desire to please Him. 
no obedience to um, the commands of God in their lives. The concept of repentance was foreign to them. And so he says in verses 7 and 8, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, Abraham, I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And so the people were self deluded. Uh, he had to give it to them straight and have, give it to them hard for them. To, to, to hear, otherwise they would just tune him out because, well, we're already children of Abraham. We already have a, a good relationship with God. And then thirdly, he was harsh and, and severe because wrath was coming. If that generation um, rejected the Messiah, God's wrath would be outpoured. And so John asked him in verse 7, Who warned you to flee uh, from the wrath to come? In verse 9, John says that the axe is already laid at the very root of the tree. Malachi 4 is the last chapter of the New Testament. And at the very end of Matthew... Uh, Malachi 4, and it's only just a few verses long, five or six verses at the most. Um, So in verses 5 and 6, there's this prophecy of the coming um, prophet who would announce the Messiah. In other words, the book of Malachi, uh, the fourth chapter is the last chapter in all the Bible, and it speaks of the coming, the prophesies the coming of John the Baptist. And in verse 1... Uh, of Malachi chapter 4, it begins by saying that God is going to break, is, is going to judge his covenant breaking people by uh, completely, uh, well, he's going to not leave them root or branch. In other words, John the Baptist knew he's the, the coming prophet to announce the way for the Messiah. He knows that if they don't receive Christ, God already has the axe at the very root of the tree. God's not going to just prune them. He is going to cut down the tree entirely. So that's what he's telling them here in verse 9 when he says, Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. If I were to preach every sermon like I started this sermon, um, if I had not told you that this is only an illustration, I don't know if I'd still have a job right now. (laughs) Uh, And rightly so. You know, there are denominations where every sermon is hellfire and damnation. You better love Jesus or you're going to hell. Um, and the goal of the preacher is to scare everybody into heaven. So was John wrong to preach this way? No, of course not. 
He was preaching as a prophet, declaring God's wrath against covenant-breaking people. John was preaching during a unique time in the history of redemption. So then the question is, is there ever a place for such severe and harsh preaching in our day and time? Well, sure there is. Um, Our Lord Jesus preached very harshly to the Pharisees and religious leaders. Jesus' sermon in Matthew 23, he makes John the Baptist seem mild in compassion. Jesus told the the Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs, and just went on and on. I mean, it's a long chapter of condemnation. Woe to you, over and over again. And uh, what Jesus was doing is he was preaching to prideful, self-righteous, religious hypocrites. They needed to hear that they were going to hell if they did not humiliate themselves and acknowledge their sinfulness. But when Jesus preached to the crowds, or he shared the gospel privately with tax collectors, or with prostitutes, he was very gentle. He preached a message of grace and love. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And those tax collectors, prostitutes, the The sinners, they knew they were sinners and they needed to hear that God so loved sinners that he sent his only son into this world to be their savior. There is a time and a place, very surely, for severe and harsh preaching. But it is against the the religious hypocrites. It is against the self-righteous uh, there are times where a preacher has to, to wield a, a heavy axe, so to speak, and uh, hack away at the, pri- the, the pride and the, the self-righteousness and the, um, the, the hardness of heart. I remember, I may have told this story before, um, I was heading home, I, I, well, I'd, this was, I was still in college, and every summer I'd come home and uh, work at um, Raylock, which was a division of Napa Auto Parts, and they would rebuild car parts, and it was a factory line uh, uh, type of work, and I would ride up 25 minutes with one of my friends named Craig every day, and we'd come back. We graduated from high school. He was um, uh, engaged, but all he would do was talk about how he was cheating on his fiance, going to strip clubs, this, that, and everything else. And he was doing this, I believe, because I had made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and he was trying to uh, just mock me. And one day, I, let, I let, let it fly. I was John the Baptist in that car with him. And... Um, it, I told him he was going to hell and just it's in many different ways. And he didn't want to ride with me anymore. And so I'd called his mom to, to see, you know, how's Craig? And she said, I don't know what you said to Craig, but please tell him more of that. <laughs> and it humbled him. Uh, he didn't come to faith in Christ, but uh, there's a time and a place. 
self-righteous Pharisees needed to hear it. The proud need to be brought low. Uh, The self-assured, self-deluded need to hear that there is a hell, that it is real, it is everlasting. And as John the Baptist said, we need to say to them, flee from the wrath to come, because it is coming surely. Who of us will not die? Who of us will not face the judgment and have to give account for what we have done here in the body? Now make no mistake, although John the Baptist was harsh and severe in his preaching, he was preaching the gospel. Verse 3 says that he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We learned in Sunday school this morning that baptism was practiced in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 9 and 10 says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot, be, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but only deal with food and drink and various, wash, various washings. The word washings here, we learned, we talked about in Sunday school, it's the word baptismois, is the... Uh, Greek word for baptisms. And so uh, the, the, um, the writer of Hebrews is saying that there were various baptisms that uh, were performed in the Old Testament. They were for purification. Uh, we went through and looked at the writer of Hebrews and how verse 13, verse 19, verse 21, how he described these baptisms, which were sprinklings, by the way, um, But I'm not making an argument for sprinkling uh, here from the pulpit. Come to Sunday school. I'm uh, I'm swinging the big axe in Sunday school for the mode of baptism. But I will say that the only baptisms that we read about uh, in the Old Testament were by sprinkling and not immersion. Uh, But my point here in the sermon is that baptism was always associated with purification. By proclaiming a baptism for repentance, John was telling the people that they were defiled, that they were unclean, that they needed to be purified. Baptism was a sign pointing toward their need of forgiveness of sins. Look again at verse 3. He says, um, he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In being baptized, the people had to acknowledge that they were unclean, that they were defiled, that they were sinners in need of forgiveness. But John was noticing a problem. These people were coming in droves to be baptized. And as he proclaimed this baptism of forgiveness for the forgiveness of sins, um, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, the people wanted to be baptized. They wanted the forgiveness of sins, but they were leaving out the repentance part. They were coming for fire insurance. Uh, They didn't want anything to do with God. That's why he says to them, I've already read verses 7 and 8, it bears reading again. Therefore he said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, God is able to, uh, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So, they were leaving out repentance because they thought everything was okay. I'm a child of Abraham. I remember when I went to Uganda the first time. It's 29 years ago uh, when I... I'm surprised my memory goes back that far. But I can remember um, getting into... I was in Uganda. I was in um, the taxi with a Ugandan and began asking him about the the country because of his first or second day there. And so I was asking him, how many Christians are in Uganda? And he said, 18 million Christians are in Uganda. And I said, wow, that's a lot. What's the total population of Uganda? He said, 19 million Christians. I said, wait a minute. You're telling me that 18 out of 19 people are Christians? He said, yes. I said, then why is it that every, every wealthy home had a, a, a wall around it? And on top of the wall in the, the mortar and concrete was broken glass all along the, the tops of the wall so that if anybody tried to climb over, they would get cut. And all the, the homes of the more wealthy had bars in the windows. No window panes, but bars in the windows and bars on the doors. And if you were really wealthy, you hired a man to sit on your front porch with a rifle all night so that no one would break in. If all these people are Christians, 19, 18 out of 19 people are Christians, why this need for security? And by the way, it was, I went to one person's home and the guy sitting out on the front porch had an elephant gun. I'll tell you what, you didn't want to rob that house. Anyway... Here was the answer that uh, the Ugandan taxi driver gave me. He said that they are Christians in name only. In other words, he said, they're not Muslims. Therefore, they're Christians. Because anybody born uh, as a Ugandan is born into the Church of Uganda, the Anglican Church. And um, so they were nominal Christians. And this is the way the people who were being baptized by John the Baptist viewed themselves. They were God's people because they were Abraham's descendants. Um, you know, They traveled to Jerusalem to participate in the religious uh, festivals. Probably many of them went to the synagogue every week. Uh, but John was telling them, you need to repent of your sins. They must not rely on their religious heritage. Is anybody here this morning relying on the fact that you grew up in church? Are you relying on the fact that your parents um, brought you to church and you, you have kept coming but are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or let me put it a little more pointedly. Are you living a life of repentance? Because that's what John says is necessary. Bear fruits, he says in verse uh, 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. God can raise up from stones, children of Abraham. Repentance is for everybody. There's no forgiveness without repentance. The act of repentance does not have power to take away our sins. Of course it does not. Forgiveness only comes through Jesus Christ and the cross. But unless we repent, we will never be forgiven. Because only people who are sorry for their sins will ever really 
admit their need for a Savior. People want a Savior that will only save them from hell. They want a Savior that will make their life happier. They want a Savior that will, will be fire insurance from them. But do they want a Savior who is also a Lord? Do they want a Savior who calls them to follow Him in obedience? Our Lord Jesus said, John 14 verse 15, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. So repentance is necessary because none of us uh, obey Christ's commandments perfectly. Repentance is the result of having a changed nature. Many people want to add Jesus to their lives like, uh, like we add accessories to our cell phone. Um, they want to add him as an accessory without ever entrusting themselves to Christ. They want their sin, but they want Jesus too. They want to live their lives without anybody, including God, telling them what to do. But they want to stay out of hell, so they want Jesus as a tag-along. But the Bible says that the moment you truly trust in Jesus Christ, you are also turning away from your sins. Repentance means a change of mind. You're turning away from your sin and turning to God. It is one act. They can't be separated. Repenting is more than telling God that you are sorry for your sins. It is turning from your sins. Your life will display evidence that God has changed your nature. So you'll bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Or I like to use this illustration from time to time. When is a thief no longer a thief? Well, let's say that that thief has robbed somebody and is thrown in jail and everything that that thief can possibly steal has been nailed down or glued down so that the thief has nothing to steal. Is he still a thief? Yes, in his heart he's still a thief, even if there's nothing for him to steal. Even if he's not stealing, he's still a thief. A thief is a thief right up until the moment he becomes a generous person. And then he stops being a thief. In other words, true repentance results in a changed heart, in a whole new change direction in your heart. You go from one who's loving the world, loving yourself, to one who loves God, and therefore you uh, are so displeased with yourself when you sin against God. What do the fruits of repentance look like? Well, he says here, and I'll be very brief, verses 10 through 14. Uh, he gives three illustrations of what uh, true repentance sounds like. As John the Baptist is hacking away with his preaching, the people are cut to the heart. And they say in verse, uh, verse, in verse 10, The crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. In other words, the first example of true repentance is that uh, you'll stop being stingy and start being generous. And then he goes on, verse 12, 
Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. In other words, he told the unethical tax collectors to be honest. Stop stealing from the people. Stop lining your pockets unethically and be honest. And then uh, verse thirteen, uh, verse 14, Then a group of soldiers also came to him and said and asked him, What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Again, while I was in Uganda, we were supposed to have this big conference, and a thousand people were coming for this conference. And war broke out in the town. So Dr. Crobb and Dom said to me, without telling my parents, because, you know, they don't know, they're on the other side of the world. And uh, he said, We're get, we have to go into town and talk to the bishop. So, um, because the, uh, the bishops in Uganda, the, the Anglican bishops had become evangelical and just loved the Lord. And so they would host these Presbyterians come in and do these conferences. So we'd go, and every checkpoint that where we would come with soldiers, Dr. Cromendom, ho, 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 here's Bibles, and he'd pass out Bibles. They'd let us go, and we'd go through the checkpoint. We went into town where people were being killed that day. And um, we heard... Uh, the the bishop, we got to speak with the bishop, and he was telling us a story, and he thought it was the most hilarious thing in the, that he'd ever heard. In fact, he was sitting on a bench. He literally fell off the bench telling it. He was laughing so hard. What had happened was the soldiers, um, the, the, the Ugandan army soldiers had set up checkpoints um, around the towns and were extorting money from the people as they were walking out of town. And so the people, the townspeople were angry. They went back and told the commander, the rebels have set up um, these checkpoints and are extorting the money. So the commander sent out um, uh, troops to, to go and attack them. They attacked them, and some of the soldiers were killed. I was offended that this bishop was laughing so hard about this. And Dr. Krabendam said, he's just happy that justice is being done. But uh, so... Even in, in Jesus' day uh, and right on up until at least 29 years ago, soldiers were setting up um, roadblocks and extorting money from the people. What, all three of these examples um, really center around money. Um, how we treat money is a pretty accurate barometer of our true priorities. And so when Jesus, when John the Baptist is saying, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, what he's saying is, um, as one aspect, how do you treat your money? Uh, how you treat your money, the priorities you, uh, with which you uh, treat your money um, are um, fruits of repentance. True repentance will change how you use your money. And then, lastly, um, don't just repent one time in your life. Repentance is an ongoing grace in the Christian life. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, we are accepted as God's children. But we continue to be sinners. Therefore, sin is ongoing. Repentance is an ongoing grace in your life. Is repentance an ongoing grace in your life? You know, the... the um, pathway to true happiness and joy in the Lord 
is through the gateway of repentance. Humble yourself and God will lift you up. Grieve, mourn, and wail, James tells us. And he will give us true joy as he restores us to himself. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for John the Baptist. Even in his harsh preaching, um, we have a picture of your love, even for such religious hypocrites that you would send John the Baptist into, frankly, what appears to be a, an absolutely miserable ministry. I would hate to have that ministry of going in and, and, and speaking uh, that harshly, that severely, day in and day out to a people who really didn't want to hear. But you love those people so much that, that you gave John the Baptist um, this calling. And he loved you so much and he loved those people so much that he was faithful in that calling. God, I pray that if there are any here who have hard hearts, that uh, you would humble them uh, and bring them to the Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for all here uh, who do not know the Lord Jesus. Bring them to yourself. And Lord, for all of us, because we're sinners... Help us to love the grace of repentance. Help us to embrace it, because in so doing, we are growing closer to our Lord Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen.